Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you have those notes found in the weekly bulletin, I encourage you to take those out and... Uh... My daughter would warn you this morning, uh, first of all, in light of all that Tim said as far as the amount of teaching that we received, number one, uh, and number two, my daughter Lydia will always say, if there's only a few uh, pieces of notes on the paper, uh, that's not a good sign. Uh, so she's come to figure out that the more extensive the notes, the more I stick to the notes, and therefore the shorter the message, that the more brief and summarized the notes seem to be, the longer the sermon seems to be. And so you can be praying for me that it will not, I will let you out on time. Uh, but I, I don't have any, uh, I don't desire to keep you here any longer than uh, it's necessary to walk through the text. And so I, I don't think that's going to be the case, but she would absolutely warn you uh, this morning in light of that. Uh, our theme or our thesis this morning is we just want to try to un- unpack the Word of God. Just let the Word of God speak to us. is living in light of our Heavenly Father. And that's really what I, I pray that... Uh, many would be helped and encouraged this morning as, as we just open the word and allow it to speak to us. And um, individuals that can fall on two different sides of a coin uh, can hopefully be brought to some unity this morning as we walk through our text. But uh, our goal, our theme, is uh, it's throughout the passage. So Peter's writing to uh, chosen individuals who have been chosen for the foundation of the world. They would love God, know God, enjoy God, and obey God. And in this, there's, they're going to walk through persecution. They're going to walk, walk through difficulty. But I just wanted just to walk through kind of where we've been over the last few weeks and then just allow this, this passage to unpack, us, uh, unpack for us to help us. And I want to use an illustration here in just a moment that I hopefully will bring some clarity to you. But if you go all the way back to chapter 1, verse 1, it talks about those elect exiles, so those chosen pilgrims and strangers that are all over this planet. I know he's addressing specific ones here in those locations, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, but it's... As a result of that, then to every one of us who would read this letter, that he says uh, the desire for that is that because we were foreknown, God has chosen us before we were ever born, that he wants us to be sanctified. The sanctification of the Spirit. The Spirit would make us holy and unto what goal? And then you see in verse 2, for obedience to Jesus Christ. Desires that we would obey our Savior and our God as a result of the work that's done in us. Now, how does that happen? And as we continue on, as we walk through that, that we've been caused. He caused us to be born again to this living hope. And so there's something that he did for us and to us. And that even in the midst of that, we can go through trials that God has ordained, that he's established for us to be able to walk through. So that in the midst of these trials, we can actually be thankful for him and be and grateful that this isn't our home, that we are only pilgrims or we are only exiles. We're simply passing through and that this world isn't our end. And so as a result, as bad as it gets, it shouldn't, we shouldn't look at God and go, why, God? We should look at God and go, thank you that this isn't our home. As I look around this world, I look at it, even in my own life that it's broken and it's busted and it's sinful and it's been marred. And that even I, who has the Spirit of God in me, will sin and will choose to sin against God. And then how much worse is that, that those who are not chosen, those who are, have rebelled against God and, are, and won't seek Him and their faces are turned against Him and hate Him, how horrible things are in our world. And so as, when difficulties and these various trials come in, as it says here in the, in the passage, that it's just to test the genuineness of our faith because as we look and interpret the world through the lens of the Scriptures by the power of the Holy Spirit that is in us, it's caused us to this living hope that if we look out the world and go, man, I, I can't wait for heaven. Now, meanwhile, that doesn't mean we become fatalistic. Meanwhile, the test of genius of our faith, as we saw several weeks ago, and even as we looked at 1 Corinthians and others, is that now how do we respond to those difficulties? And others that are creating and causing those difficulties in the context of our life demonstrates whether or not we really will be are walking by the genius of our faith or we're walking according to the flesh. And so to those who are believers, the Bible would say in, in uh, Galatians that we want to then confront them, bear one of those burdens, confronting those sins. We want to encourage the saints. We want to minister to others. We want to share the gospel with the, with the lost. And so, so that we can have joy in this, knowing that uh, ultimately that we will be like him when he returns. 
And then we can look at the confidence of the scriptures and go, okay, God, we can trust your word and, o- and obey your word because you've given us your word. And that's where then last week Tim did a marvelous job where in verse 13 it says, now, as a result of that, how, how if we're going to be obedient, we're going to be becoming more like Christ, sanctified to become more like Christ, to be obedient children through, um, through the work that Christ has done for us, then how do we do that? And it's where he's talking about girding up the loins of your minds, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, setting your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And here's the term that's going to set us up this morning. As obedient children. That's the goal for us, is that if we are children, we should be obedient children. That we would not be conformed to the passions of our former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, for us also to be holy in all our conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy holy and then here's the key and if you call on him as father and then he's going to begin to list um, how he should should look in light of it. so our theme this morning is living in light of our heavenly father and if he's our heavenly father then we ought to be obedient children right because our father is benevolent He's good and gracious and kind and loving. And as a result of being loving, he hates that which is evil and isn't loving. And so there's this, this imagery here that we, we need to be able to pick up on. So Elijah, come here, help me for a minute. If you don't mind, come up on the platform for us. We were using this as an illustration in our own household. And so this, uh, this is my, my little man. How old are you? Six. No, you just had a birthday. Seven. Seven. All right. So he had a birthday Monday. Um, and so he's, he's been six for a whole year. You got to give him a break. All right. So uh, he's only been seven for almost a week. And so uh, as a result of that, he's, he's seven and I'm 30 something. And so as a result of that, there's a difference between our ages. But would you, the question is, would you believe that if you never saw us before, didn't know our ages, that I, I, we look at you and we're talking to us, and you're like, well, hey, who's, who's the guy with you? And I've introduced myself. Hey, I'm Kevin, and the pastor of Cherokee Baptist Church, or one of the elders of Cherokee Baptist Church. And so, um, and they're like, who's this guy? And say, like, hey, this is my, my twin brother, uh, my twin brother, Elijah. And uh, uh, we're twins. Like, we're born at the same time, hence the term twins. Would you believe that? No, right? Why would you not believe that? Well, there's an apparent difference in size and and, and, and handsomeness, he's clearly far more handsome than me, right? And the amount of hair we have, and, and the, the, there's a variety of differences here. And yet, in the Christian life, many of us never attain to maturity. And I'm not speaking to me, and I'm just talking as the illustration here, that manhood and will constantly remain as a, as a child. Now, the key here in this passage is that Peter wants them to begin to realize, don't continue to live here. Don't live as a seven-year-old, mature into maturation, and in that maturation that you become an adult. Thank you, bro. Give me five. Awesome. Great preaching. All right, so that's the goal this morning is that how do we then not stay seven in our spiritual walk and that we actually move to be obedient children toward that obedience actually grows into holiness and that, that holiness that we're not being conformed to this world and we stay stunted in our, in our lack of growth but we begin to move in maturation. And it has everything to do with how you look and how you live in light of your Heavenly Father. Several years ago, uh, there was a Bible study on our, on our campus. There was a, more of like a, uh, a Bible study that was just walking through the Word. And there was two individuals that was in this group, and they came from radically different backgrounds. One came from a, uh, a Christian home, but then that Christian home was very harsh. It was very legalistic. Uh, dominated by rules. And so, and when he looked at the scriptures and he looked at God, the liberation that came through the scriptures was freedom. Man, I've been in this cage and I've been caged up for far too long and there's all these rules and it was very hard. And all of a sudden I saw the grace of God, the door got cracked open and I pushed through the door and now I'm living in freedom. And yet there's another guy in the same group who grew up with not the same illustration not the same story there was tremendous amount of freedom in his home and in his home there's so such freedom there's great clarity whether or not uh either one of his parents were believers they come to find out later on one was not uh, the, the father was not a believer and was and so as a result of that there was tremendous amount of freedom and there's a variety of other physical things that came into play with this and so this individual 
had walked in freedom in such freedom that he didn't look at the word of God in a, in a manner that he should know Christ or obey Christ or that God's word was there to protect him and provide for him. And so when he came to Christ, he began to see order and structure and conformity that was actually helpful to him. And so when these guys would get together and talk, they were like firing missiles over each other's heads. And this one was like, man, it's all about the grace of God. Don't ever tell me about obeying things. And so as a result of that obedience, you're trying to put me in the cage again. And this guy's like, no, 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 man. Like, that's not a cage. Let me tell you about my walk and how this walk in my particular life brought structure and order. And it was to protect me. And in this room this morning, I believe there's some of you just going to look at this passage and you're going to look through this lens. And I, I want to try to hope for you to be able to see both sides. You're able to see, man, that God is gracious. And he doesn't want us just arbitrarily following rules that's apart from any type of love. That God is full of grace. If you know John chapter 1, John the beloved writes about the gospel, the good news in Christ Jesus. He says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. And so this guy who was all grace almost can be to an error. They begin to say, well, I don't want to follow any truth. I, I don't want it to be any obedience because it's nothing I've done. I don't, want it, I don't want it to be about me. It's nothing I've done. And yet you can, you can fall short and actually fall into uh, uh, a licentiousness because I don't want to obey the scriptures. But then you've got this guy over here that can be, can be so true that there's no grace. And that he can actually lead to the legalism which this guy was wanting to be freed from. And he looks at it and he's like, man, God, he's a rule. He want, he's given us rules. We need to follow these rules. We need to obey these rules. And this is how God's created us. And miss the grace of God that's also apparent in the scriptures. And so this morning, I, I want us to see that the writing of Peter is writing to encourage uh, Elect exiles, those who were chosen, who were pilgrims on this planet, who's going to be walking through various trials and difficulties, and we're going to suffer against evildoers, and in, in doing so, as they suffer, suffer against these evildoers, that they may see the good deeds that these Christians do and glorify God on their day of visitation. So when this happens to us, they actually glorify God because they see Christ in us. Now, how do we begin to do that in a manner that where we don't stay stunted at seven-year-old faith and we can actually grow up in our maturation. I think this passage is going to help us to do that. So let's begin to walk through it. In your notes there, it says, God our Father is, and it's going to list four different things that our God is to us. Now, first thing I want us to be able to see is that it's God our Father. Before we even unpack who He is, we need to understand what He does and how He works in this and the in characteristics of, of His actions and of His character. I want us to be able to just first say, May we be encouraged that we can actually call him father. That is not a term that the, the Israelites were familiar with. It's a term that Jesus brought to us, that we can be able to interact with him as now a brother to Christ, right? And as a son of God, that the Bible would now uh, elect us or choose us to be children of God. This is a, an amazing uh, opportunity for us. And it's an amazing feat that's not based on any works that we've done, as we're going to see in the passage. And so I don't want you getting lost in the illustration. You're only look, trying to fill in the blanks that you missed one of the critical points. God is now our Father. And so these illustrations for both of these guys, one who had the legalistic father, is going to look at God either in this legalistic manner or is going to reject that and now not going to see God in any man, manner to where God would ask us to follow or obey anything. Or you've got this guy over here who sees that and based on his father, fatherly parent, his paternal parent, that he sees his father as distant and aloof and wasn't engaged and wasn't loved and wasn't kind and is looking for any order, any structure that could provide him any advice and instruction on how to navigate this world without just getting blown up at every turn. And he too could fall into legalism. And so how do we balance that? And in this room, in this morning, I guarantee you, some will listen that I'm that I'm, they're listening so sensitive. And inside, they're, they're rule followers and they're people pleasers. And that the moment I say anything, they're like, yes, I'm horrible and I'm sinful and, and it's, it's, everything's bad. But it's out of balance. It's not balanced at all. They weren't, they're not trusting in what Christ has done for us. And so you're looking at it and you just get beat down by this message. And yet there's another person over here 
who, not that I preach at anybody, I, I really just try to preach the, the text, but if I, if I were to look at each one individually and the things I know about each person's room, I'm like, yes, I'm preaching you, right? So the, the guy who comes up that I just described before and is like, I'm so horrible. I'm like, no, 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 you turn around, you're doing fine. Go back and get this guy and bring him up here, let's talk. But then that guy needs the law to break him to be able to say, man, there's areas of sin in my life that I need to repent of. And so I want you to be able to see that this message hopefully is going to strike both parties. It's going to warn the one who's walking in sin. And hopefully yet at the same time encourage the one who's really the heart's the, the posture of the heart. That's what I'm, I want you to get at. Because just like uh, Pastor Tim talked about last week, many of us want to know when we talk about holiness, is I do this or I don't do this. And this how, no, no, it's the context of your position in Christ and your posture before Christ. Your position is, I'm now a child of God, and he's my father. Now, how do I position my, or posture myself in light of my position? That's the question today. How do I posture myself in light of my position in Christ? You tracking with me? And so for the one who's walking in sin, his posture needs to be one of humility and brokenness unto Christ and to repentance. A godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And to the one whose heart is naturally bent to want to do the things that are of God, to realize there is goodness and grace for you. Tracking with me? Track, I know there's a lot to throw at you all at one time. This is our way of introduction. But I need to set us up. Everybody with me? If you're kind of with me, just nod or say amen. Okay. All right. So hear this. So God, our Father, is first. He is holy. Now, this is anything new. It's just, it's just attaching what... Pastor Tim taught us marvelously last week. It's just attaching this sermon to last week's message just so that we keep it in context. God, our Father, is holy. Verse 16. Since it is written, so he's telling us we need to be obedient children, not to be conformed to the image of our, 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 the passions of our former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also should be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So the reality is we need to respond in like manner because why? God is holy. How do we live in light of who God is? We look to him and we're being conformed to his image as we just look and glance at him. And so we need to apply the scriptures. But the very first thing before you look for application is interpretation. When you read the scriptures, don't just look at how my, my, my marriage is broken and busted and everything's going wrong. And my, my, some, I need to find a passage or two that can fix my wife. Right? So we all start singing the Coldplay song, Fix You, and you're just like, I'm just looking for a means to fix you. And the reality is, it's not your wife God needs to fix. It's you. It's me that God needs to fix. And if I begin working on me and how God would call me to work in a relationship with my wife and my children, all of a sudden, other things are going to begin to change. But if my goal, our goal is, Pastor Tim and I, our goal is to help you, it might get far worse in your home before it gets better. So much so that you might actually get a divorce in your marriage. You say, well, how, how is that possible? I thought God hates divorce. He absolutely does. But as you begin to walk in obedience to God's word, your believer who's always, your, your spouse who's always claimed to be a believer may actually be proven not to be a believer. And then they abandon you as 1 Corinthians 7 says. That's happened and that can be happening Inside this church and outside this church as we walk with other people. So then, so what should the instruction and counsel from Pastor Tim and I be? Don't be holy anymore so you can protect your marriage? No, because Matthew 10 says that Christ didn't come to bring peace but a sword. Our allegiance first and foremost is to God. And so we are to be holy, consecrated for a specific purpose, devoted to a specific purpose. Just as Pastor Tim communicated to us last week. And that purpose is for the glory of our God, first and foremost, foremost, preeminent above everything else. And so that's the case. And we have to realize that our God is holy. He's holy. Now, he, he told you an illustration. I'm going to kind of come behind that and, and tell you how that, that story went. Remember, he, Pastor Tim last week was talking about our um, uh, search for worship, a worship pastor, worship leader within that congregation and uh, outside the congregation, we had the guy who came in who didn't believe in hell. Remember the story from last week? And he's like, well, define God in one word, right? And Tim's like, I don't really want to do that. But if you're going to force my hand, uh, he's holy. And he talked about how the Bible describes God as holy, holy, holy. And it's the only time you'll find in Scripture where it's repeated three times. 
And it's on numerous occasions in the book of Revelation that does that. And so, and you don't see that. He's not love, 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 or joy, 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 right? And there's gods who are banging both of those. It's like, oh, God's our love and our God's our joy. And it's like, well, yes, yes, but like, he's holy. And so in that, the conversation with this, this guy as the worship pastor was like, man, I, but my, my, my job is to work up the congregation to a frenzy that they would worship God. And, I, and, and leaving with him, I just immediately went into pastoral mode because I was like, you need some biblical and counseling instruction. So I'm, it's not even about the job anymore. And Tim thought I was still like trying to hire him. And I'm like, and so we, we didn't know each other probably what? maybe a month or two before this. And so he's thinking like, dude, what kind of a pastor are you that you're wanting to bring this guy on? And I'd already was like, you're not going to be a worship leader, but I mean, I'll minister to your soul. And so I told him about the story of Uzzah. And I said, man, you know what's, what, where you're at? You, you live in 1 Corinthians 15. That you want to be like King David and dance before the Lord undignified. Where wives look at with disdain at the king. And why would a king be doing that? First Chronicles 15, that's, that's where you want to lead our congregation. That's, that's how you want to lead us. I mean, it comes up and it's this frenzied worship where we just lose ourselves in the glory of who God is. And that's a good thing as long as we know the God we're worshiping. I said, but you don't, have you read anything before First Chronicles 15? Read it all. I said, you know why David was doing that? Why did David respond with such exuberant worship? Because 1 Chronicles 13 happened. Do you know what's in 1 Chronicles 13? Like I just stared at it. It's like we had no idea what we're talking about. I was like, well, in 1 Chronicles 13, God killed a man for touching the Ark of the Covenant. The story is they were moving the Ark of the Covenant. And in that, God has prescribed a manner upon which the Ark should be moved. Who should move it and how it should be moved. And David didn't do it that way. David put it on a cart and began to move it toward Jerusalem. And in that, the oxen stumble, the cart shakes, and the Ark of the Covenant begins to wobble. And the appearance is that Uzzah felt the necessity that he needed to help God. Man, God needs my help. And so I need to steady the Ark because God needs me to do this. If God wasn't sovereign over the process and even all that, God needs me to help him. When God had instructed, do not touch the Ark of the Covenant. And so he stretches out his hand, steadies the Ark. God strikes him dead on the spot. And David was angry, First Chronicles 13 says. And says, leave it right here. I don't want anything to do with it. Leave it where it's at. And I'm going back to Jerusalem. And it remained at Obed-Edom for Three months. And in that time, God's presence is God's good. He's holy, but he's good. And so why was there three months? Obed-Edom was like, this is awesome. The blessings and presence of God is on us. He can stay here as long as he wants. Meanwhile, David goes to battle, defeats the Philistines, and all of a sudden realizes, I want the presence of God and the blessings of God here in Jerusalem. But how do I get God here without him killing people? And then he... If you read through 1 Chronicles 15, he realizes that there was a manner upon which God was to be moved. A manner upon which God said, this is how you interact with me and you come before me and you move and work with me. Here's who can carry me and here's how they're to carry me. And in that, God's holiness was put on display and it scared David. It made David angry at God. There'll be times in our lives where God Holiness is going to burst through and it will scare us. It might even make us angry that God has every, any right he wants to to put things, to ordain things, as we've already studied in this passage, ordains various trials that are necessary, that our testimony our faith may be proven uh, trustworthy. And you think, God, how dare you interrupt the scheduling program, the schedule programming of my life? With these testings, right? Wasn't that the most frustrating thing you've ever seen? You ever been watching a, a program and all of a sudden, I don't hardly do it anymore, but like on the old school analog TVs, it did like the weird looking screen would come up with all the strange colors on it. It'd be like, dee, dee, dee. And they're like, this is being interrupted for the schedule. You know what I'm saying? And there would be this test, a test of the something broadcasting system, right? 
would come on and it would just mess you up. And you're like, man, I was right in the middle of the best part of this show. And this testing comes in. Well, this is how that same anger you have toward CBS or ABC is how we get toward God. How can you interrupt my life and how everything I had planned and how everything I had going and my sovereign will and plans that now all of a sudden you're going to interrupt my life for a test? You know why he does that? Because he's holy and he wants to conform us to his image. But he desires for us to be holy. And that's what happened with David. Who are you to interrupt my plans? But then what did it do? It drove David, 1 Chronicles 15, to get in the Bible and find out how God said we're supposed to interact with him. And all of a sudden, he realized that the Kohathites were the ones that were supposed to carry him. And there was poles that were supposed to go through these ringlets that were going to slide through the Ark of the Covenant. And then the Kohathites would be able to carry the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders to the place that God would have them to be able to take it. To the location that God wanted it to be. And that he would also prescribe the potential location of where that was supposed to be. And so who is supposed to carry him, how they're supposed to carry him, to where they were supposed to carry him, how they're supposed to interact with him. And it's the same way for us today. God doesn't want us to be conformed to the passions of our former ignorance, that we can try to interact with God in whatever terms we want. He's saying, here's how you're supposed to carry my name as the temple of the spirit of the living God that resides in you. You're not supposed to walk however you want to walk. You're supposed to live in the manner that I just prescribed to you. And when you step outside those bounds as a father, it's not going to go well. But as a father, I'll be forgiving and gracious and kind. And my anger won't always reside against you. But men and women, we need to make sure we understand this morning that God, our father, is holy. And he will not entertain sin in any aspect of our lives. And so we need to be mindful then of how we live in light of who God is. He's holy. And so our conduct should not be as our former ignorance before we came to faith in Christ. There should be a distinction and difference in us. And so number one, God, our Father, is holy. Number two, God, our Father, is not only holy, but God, our Father, judges impartially. God, our Father, judges impartially. You see it in verse 17. And if you call on Him as Father, this is so important, keeping these together, and if you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially? According to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile or your pilgrimage. I could preach an entire sermon just on this one verse. And I'm, I'm not going to, so don't, don't, don't worry. We're, we're, gonna, we're going somewhere. But this one passage alone, verse 17, just pregnant with truth. All right, so we're going to try to deliver this baby as, as quickly as we can. So God our Father is holy, and God our Father judges impartially. Now, here's what we want, you, want, you need to be able to understand. He's both father and judge. Or a father that judges. This is so important. So important. Listen to the words here. In verse 17, and if you call on him as father who judges, right? So he's a father first that will judge us. It's both. And here's what we think most often. Remember our two guys? The one who was like, oh, I hate all God's rules. And the other one's like, oh, God's rules are awesome. And they were kept fighting with one another. Or at least we're not understanding one another because both needed to work on how they begin to see God. Here's how we, we view it. It's either or. God is either a father or he's, or he's a judge. When it's no, no, no. He's a father that judges. He's both and, not either or. And if you begin to think through how you view God, you're probably going to fall in one camp or the other based upon your viewpoint of God, based upon your parental, um, your biological parents and how they raised you, whether your father was absent, whether your father was harsh, whether your father was, was passive. However you begin to look at these things, you're going to begin to look at God in like manner. And so you're like, this guy, remember the guy who was like, man, the moment he saw any grace, he was like, that door, got, he was just blew open that door and was never going back to any form of law. Never wanting to obey the scriptures because why? It's grace, man. God's done everything I needed. He's done needed for me. Yes, for salvation. As we're going to see in a moment, sanctification, we're supposed to obey as, verse uh, 14, as obedient children. How do you know if you're obedient? Well, there's some commands you're supposed to follow. That I don't live in my former ignorance and my, pre- my previous passions. And so here's the reality as we begin to walk through this, that this guy was like, man, I just want him to be a father. 
Oh, I just want him to. And they, all the songs they'll sing is that God hugs us and licks on us and, you know, like sloppy wet kisses and all these songs that sing, it's just like really gross. And I'm in the front row going, I know I'm supposed to worship you, but that's, that's just weird. I don't want to do that, right? So sometimes we'll sing songs. We try to be very careful here that we, we make sure that we still keep God as holy and he's not just my homeboy. He's a, he's a father, but he's a holy father. He's a father. And so this guy's like, man, I just, I just want it all to be cuddly, right? He's just a teddy bear, and I just want to hug him. And then you got this guy who's like, no, but he's, he's a warrior. He defends me. He protects me. He puts a hedge around me. He, he, he rules and reigns. And, man, he loves the protective sense of what God is doing. That, man, because he came out of a, a father who wasn't protective, who was passive, who didn't give instruction and leadership. And so he sees that in God, and, man, he's all about it. And so then what can happen is he falls into legalism, and this guy over here falls into liberalism. All grace, no truth. All truth, no grace. And both in your eyes, yes, he's, he's a father, but he's a father who judges, so be careful. And, yes, he's a judge who will give one each according And you're all about, man, following these rules. And you're, man, I follow rules much better than everybody else. Why can't they just follow God's rules? I follow God's rules. Why can't you follow God's rules? And this guy needs to realize that he's a gracious father. Right? Yes, it's true, but he's gracious. And in this particular passage, you need to be able to see that he's a father who judges. Now, what is he going to judge? According, first of all, he's going to judge impartially, right? He doesn't see the face. So he didn't look at you as everybody else looks at you and sees the face and is like, oh, you're recognizable. Oh, you're, you're a person of high position and authority. So I, I, I need to like acquiesce to you and your position. I need to acquiesce to who you are. And God's like, I don't care who you are. I created you. Your face isn't important to me. As if I need to somehow bow down. I'm, I'm not going to be in your debt. You, you can't make me your debtor. I don't owe you anything. I give you grace. And so, remember, I'm your father. And there's times in my home where I love playing with my kids. I love wrestling with my kids. I love, and I think as a father, you should do that. There's something about getting down on the floor and wrestling with your kids, right? That they, they understand that, man, they're like, they're like crawling on you and, 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 and trying to uh, best they can with all their power and might and authority. I, I think there's an amount of safety there that even when they, at my house, they always end up crying, so I'm sorry. My wife's like, do you, do you not know this happens this way all the time? It always ends in somebody in tears. So I'm like, this is, I'm teaching them godliness, baby, right? But I, there is something to that. Let me, let me explain. There's a certain amount of understanding of power that when, man, we're just playing around and they can't budge me. Now, if they get older, right, I had a brother nine years my younger, and I quit, like, wrestling with him when I was 21. And he was 12 because he's a man-child. If you've ever seen him, he's big. And so I begin to realize, man, my brother Nate, he's a burly man, and so he's really large, probably has me. I'm 6'4", buck 65, maybe, uh, buck 70. And so he's got me probably about 60 pounds, right? And so just, and he was that weight, like, I mean, we would play t-ball, and they're like, at, like nine-year-old t-ball, and they're like, I need a birth certificate for Bubba. Can you show me? I, I bet he's like 15 years old playing nine-year-old t-ball, right? And you speak my mom's, anyway, I'm totally getting off track. All I'm saying is, when I wrestle with my kids, there's something they begin to see that, man, dad is powerful. Now, as they grow, they're going to realize that not only dad isn't powerful, but he's pretty stupid, where now they're like, oh, he's pretty smart. And he's, but as they mature and grow, they're going to begin to realize something. We will never do that about God. You'll never look back on God and be like, yeah, God's an idiot. He's not powerful. He's not loving. He's not kind. But as they play with me, they begin to realize, man, dad, he's strong. He's not even trying. We'll arm wrestle together, and I get them all the way down, and they're like, I, they're like, throw their whole body into my arm, right? And trying to like put my arm down and they can't even move it. And I'm like, and, and, and. what does that teach them? And I, I can trust dad. He's protective. He can protect me, right? And so this is the picture here is that we begin to see, first of all, this is who our heavenly father is. He's powerful and he will judge us impartially because he's so much more knowledgeable than we are. And then he will judge us according to each one's deeds. He sees you, and he sees you on both sides. So some will look at this and be like, yeah, he sees me. I always, always mess up, and I do dumb things, and, and God hates me. But no, no, you're just living right over here, right, that he's just judge. 
and you forget he's your father. So when you hear me preach, and that's why over the course of time people will be like, man, you're so judgmental, and you preach so harsh. And it's like, well, no, no, I think you're just listening through the lens because this guy over here is like, man, this is spot on. It's what I needed. And he's probably over this guy, like the legalism the guy, and he's like, man, freedom. I want freedom from this. And he's all, he, all he hears in the message is grace. And my sins have been forgiven. Praise the Lord. I live how I want to live. But you've got to be able to understand both parties. He's a father that judges. What do we need to understand about this? Well, there's some, a variety of passages. Let me just kind of walk through a few of these here quickly. Hebrews chapter 10. If you want to just, uh, jot these down, I'll read them for you briefly. But just listen to some of the things that Bible speaks to believers and these warnings it gives to us. For, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 to 31. Listen to this. For if you go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, there's a balance in that, is there not? That's a real warning. Now, before you think, does that mean I can lose my salvation? No, it's a real warning that real believers will heed. You tracking with me? A legitimate warning that legitimate Christians will go, I don't want any part of that. I get him. Now, we were wrestling with Dad, tried to get him on the ground. There's no, there's no budging, Dad, so be careful. Dad, every now and then, is like, all right, enough. I'm your father. We've been playing around. We've been having a good time. Now it's enough. Let's get to work. And that happens, Right? You see it on Animal Planet even, and they're, they're just animals, right? They don't, they don't they have ability to be able to think and reason, but they're all playing with the, like, mama chimpanzee, right? And they're all crawling over, and all of a sudden she's like, wham, and throws them on the ground. It's like, I'm done. I'm done playing. It was fine for, like, 15 minutes. Now I'm done, right? Or, like, the, the mama cat, like, lying, and she's lying on there. All the cubs are, like, just all messing with her and keep jumping on her head. And it's like, oh, this is fun. All of a sudden, it's like, wham, like, pins the, 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 the tiny lion down. And he's like, all right, dude, it's over. Game time's done, right? Well, there's times where that's the case, where it's like God says, no more playing at my house. No more playing. It's done. I, I'm, you can enjoy me as father, but it's, there's a purpose why you're here, and it's just brief. You're only here for a moment. You're in exile. You're a pilgrim. You're only here for a moment. You, enjoy me as father, but I'm also a judge. And I will judge you with fatherly grace, but I still yet will judge your actions, and so be careful. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. What Scripture says there in 2 Corinthians 5? You can just write that down. I'll read it to you. Verse 10, 11, that's what it says. Verse 9, it says, Whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. So whether we're still in our body, which means um, we're home here uh, in our earthly bodies, our earthly tent, or we're away, meaning in the presence of Him. Um, it says we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Verse 11, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. You see it again in Matthew chapter 10 as Jesus is giving instructions to the apostles before they're to go out and carry out ministry that he had told them to do. Matthew chapter 10, he says in verse 28, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You're at this point, you're like, that's no encouragement whatsoever. So they can kill me here, or you can kill me and then throw me into hell. Where, where is that like, positive like, reinforcement here for us? Right? We say, no, 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 it's neither or. Right? Yet, if you trust me, they'll probably kill you. But it's better that they would kill your physical body and can't touch your soul than for you to live in a, for the approval of man and both your body and soul be thrown into hell by me. So fear me. Understand the greater fear. And just before you don't be able to miss that, look what it says here. And that's where we're gonna, that's the judge portion, right? Who's going to judge? You want man to judge you and they can just kill your body. But you want God to judge you and kill your body and soul? Now listen, but he didn't stop there. Even Jesus picks up on the father language and he will begin to introduce it to them. Look at verse 29. And then he just randomly starts talking about sparrows. 
Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? You're like, dude, you were talking about judgment. Why are we talking about sparrows? Right? He's going somewhere. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your, what does it say? Father. Apart from your father. And this, at this point, they're going, dude, we don't call God Father. He's Yahweh. He's I am. He's the powerful one that brought us out of Egypt. He killed Uzzah. He's the one who said, don't come on this mountain. Don't touch it, lest you die. Smoke and thunder and terror were taking place on Mount Sinai. Nobody wants to go near him. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. He's your father. Not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable, more value than, any, than many sparrows. And then he says, therefore, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. And that's where then he goes in the passage about, don't think I've come to bring peace, but a sword. So why is he communicating there? Don't forget that God judges. But before you think he's some tyrannical maniac that's just up there waiting to smite us every time we mess up, remember he's your heavenly Father who won't even let the, the sparrows fall to the ground. And they're, they're worthless. Two sparrows are sold for a penny. And you're the crown of creation. He sent his son to die for you. He numbered the hairs on your head. And that's hard because after a shower, I'm, I'm, I'm down a few. Right? And he knows the number of hairs on our head. He's a loving father and yet a judge all at the same time. The Bible is saying in Proverbs 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom for us. And so we need to fear him. Last verse, just to hear it, and the rest of these aren't going to be as long, but I want to be able to unpack this because it's so vital for us to understand how we look at who God is. At the end of Ecclesiastes, here's how the good preacher wraps up his sermon. The end of the matter, uh, Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14, for those who are taking notes. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Here's, here's how he ends it. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. He says, fear God. Keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So how do we tie these together? Ed Welch gave this quote, and I'm going to try to unpack it, and then we're going to see it. And it's going to, just a portion of the sermon, it's going to unpack itself even more, and it's going to help us, I think. So what Ed Welch says about fearing God. He says, the fear of the Lord means reverent submission that leads to obedience. Reverent submission that leads to obedience. And is interchangeable with the word worship. Rely on, trust, and hope in. Like terror, so we're talking about fear of the Lord. Like terror, it includes a clear-eyed knowledge of God's justice and his anger against sin. But this worship fear also notes God's great faith, forgiveness, his faithfulness, his mercy, and love. It causes us to submit gladly to his lordship and delight in obedience. This kind of robust fear is the pinnacle of our response to God. So when you hear preachers, and I've been guilty of this myself, the moment we read the word fear, we're like, no, wait a minute. Here's what we're, all this means is reverence and submission. No, it also can be translated in other places, terror. Now, how do we not then be, remember our guys, right? The one who was all grace, and he's like, oh, see there, man, I'm, God's not. God said he was love, and he's no terror, and so as a result of that, I don't see that. And this guy over here is like, dude, he's terror, he's going to kill you, right? And so they're, they're battling it out. It's both. And the reason it needs to be both is that it's what the Bible, first of all, the Bible prescribes. It's, he's both. You think, well, it's all Old Testament. Have you read Acts chapter 5? Ananias and Sapphira, supposed believers who lied to the Holy Spirit two different times. God killed them both. Fear came among the people. Many didn't want to join the work of the apostles. And yet the word of God increased and many were saved. We need to lift up the fear of God. But a healthy manage of fear. Yes, it can mean terror. And as you look at unbelievers, they're like, let the mountains crawl, fall upon us. We don't want the fear of God or the terror of God to come upon us. But they, don't, they, only, they only know him as what? Judge. 
that judge who unbelievers are fearful of is our father. You tracking with me? And so don't, don't minimize it. They were afraid. And if you look at all the interactions with believers through the Bible, when they, whether it was the angel of the Lord or it was Christ himself or it was a vision on high, every time it's like, fall is a dead man. And the next word is what? Fear not. Don't be afraid. Now why? Why would God do it this way? This is, this is key for you and for myself who are potentially a people that's going to be like First Peter. Judgment's coming and it's going to begin at the house of God as we're going to get in First Peter. But I believe also in this nation. It's just a matter of time. So how, how, do, we, how do we rejoice then when we go through various trials and we're beaten and we bear the marks of Christ? How does that happen? How does our brothers and sisters do that? Here's, here's one. You understand Matthew chapter 10. Don't fear man who can only destroy the body. And that's bad. God, Jesus didn't un, like, under, like, minimize that. That's bad. That's horrible. They can do a variety of horrible things to torture you. He says, but get proper perspective. We're just pilgrims here for a little bit, and hell's far worse and far longer than anything you can ever experience here. I'm not saying it's not bad. It's just not as, as bad as where we could go. Now, if you don't understand the terror of God and the fear of God that can lead you to be broken for your sins and then forgiven as a child of God, then you will never, hear me, hear me clearly. Hear, this is for all you need encouragement. Hear me, hear me, this is what you need to hear, what you need to understand. You will never be able to say like Paul in Romans chapter 8, if God be for us, who can be against us? If you've never been brought low by the holiness of God and the terror of the living God, then when you look at mankind, you'll always fear man and always be a snare for you because you don't believe God's big and great and, and, and terrible. But it also is loving and kind and merciful and protective. But when you see how big he is and you fear him, and you were brought low as a dead man, and yet whether it's the angel of the Lord, whether it's Jesus, whether it's a, a vision all throughout the Bible that... A spokesman of God or God himself says, do not be afraid. You've been pardoned. You've been forgiven. Immediately you rise up knowing that all the forces of heaven and all the power of God stands behind you. Bring it. What can man do to me? Bring it. But if you don't get brought low, and Jesus is just your homeboy, when your day of visitation happens, you will crumble. You will crumble. And it may be in that crumbling that God shows you like he did David, his holiness, that leads you to worship like David did in First Chronicles 15, where he danced undignified because he did not care what anyone thought about him. He was just grateful that the Ark of the Covenant was with him. Tracking? Right? So that's where we're at. So and you understand, God our Father is holy, and God our Father judges impartially. And so, how do we keep this? How is a holy God who judges impartially, and we're not going to do this thing perfectly, how does this work? Third, I'm glad you asked. Number three, God our Father saves graciously. You try, see how it's beginning to play out? You need to be obedient children because he's holy, and you need to be holy. Uh, for he, you, uh, he, you, you should be holy as the Bible speaks about him and is written, for you are holy, for, uh, you should be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to these ones, these conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So we should be... Uh, um, uh, uh, reverential fear that, that we know him not only as judge but as father. And then now he saves graciously knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. The feudal ways that was inherited from your forefathers, meaning you had a sin nature that was brought on. There was traditions of man that wanted to try to worship God in a manner that he didn't prescribe. It was just moments after God had spoken to Moses on Mount Sinai, right? Moses up there 40 days, then the people began to harlot at the bottom of the mountain and begin to now have idolatry and started creating a golden calf. And God's anger was fueled by it. 3,000 people died. Now, track with that, some, some symbolism there. 3,000 people died at the giving of the law. 3,000 people were born again at the coming of the Spirit. Given in the law, 3,000 people died. Shortly thereafter, tabernacles erected. God's prescribed to them how they're supposed to come and worship him. 
manners that they were supposed to do, tools and vessels they're supposed to have, these consecrated vessels for a purpose, these, these holy items. Aaron had two sons, Nadab and Abihu. What did they do? Well, you don't have to do it God's way. We'll, we'll, bring, we'll bring offerings to God in the manner that we want to bring offerings to God. That didn't go very well for Cain. I don't think it's going to go very well for Nadab and Abihu, and yet it did not. And God consumed them with fire. So God, in a means by which he was going to save his people, here's how you can come before me, interact with me, have your sins pardoned or forgiven or rolled over to the next year, the Day of Atonement. They said, we're not going to come that way. We're going to come our own way. And God says, all right, you'll be destroyed. And so his holiness was still on display, but his graciousness was there at the same time. He'd given them a means to come to him if they were willing to obey it and have faith. But Nadab and Abihu didn't want to do that, and so as a result of that, they were destroyed. And same way for us, we've got to understand that he is holy and he judges impartially. And if we're going to be saved and he's going to be our father, then we've got to understand that he saves graciously. How? Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. This sin nature says, I want to do it my way. Great song, I'm not going to sing. Well, not a great song, but a very well-known song that we did it our way. And doesn't fly in the face of God. It says you were ransomed from those ways. Not with perishable things such as silver and gold. You can't buy your way to heaven. Things that God created, you're going to give them back to him as if he's going to be impressed by that. Look at all the gold we brought for you, Jesus. Uh, We paved the streets in heaven with that. That's just stuff we walk on. I'm not impressed. Look at all these jewels. That's just in our walls here in heaven. Not really impressive. I created that, right? That's, that's the imagery here that we're seeing. Not with perishable things that silver is gold, but with pres- the precious blood of Christ. May your sin drive you to hopelessness apart from Christ and the fullness of hopefulness in Christ. That's why we can call him Father. And that when he looks at our sins, we, we're not flippant with them. We want to repent of sins even after salvation. But we know what, what God doesn't, my position in him is not based upon my works. It's based upon Christ's works. He saved graciously. He ransomed me. He paid my debt for me. I was on the slave market like, like Hosea and Gomer. I was Gomer and I, I had a great thing going for me. And I went back to harloting. And now I stand stripped naked, publicly humiliated in stocks, chains. For the highest bidder. And I look out and I see my spouse. Who I've shamed. And he says hey. Whatever the highest bid is. Four times that much. I'll take it. I'll take them. I'll take them. I'll, I'll buy. I'll buy my spouse. You can track that. That's you and I. And so for you. I'm, I'm hopeless. I'm horrible. And you're over here. You know. All you see yourself is negative. He, he's paid for our past, present, and future sins. He's our father. We're his son. Get the imagery of Luke 15, which is a picture of salvation, not rededication. It's a picture of salvation, but track that with that story is that even after salvation for us, God is welcoming us back when we repent and we're repentant of our sin. Why? Because he paid for us with the precious blood of Christ. He saves graciously, like that of a lamb without spot, blemish or spot. Peter's picking up on the themes of the sacrificial system here. And so God our Father is holy. God our Father judges impartially. God our Father saves graciously. And God our Father governs the world sovereignly. Governs the world sovereignly. Verse 20 21. He, Jesus Christ, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. All right, so what's, what's taking place? Why, why not you choose the words governs the world sovereignly? It's because he's in control of these things. He's in control of all the bad things, right? He, he's not, he doesn't work through, he doesn't, um, he's not behind sin in the sense of like he's carrying it out by his own, his own will and desires that he's the one uh, causing us to sin or causing sin in our lives, but he's back from it. He's not the one directly moving because he can't sin or tempt us to sin, but yet he's, he's not caught off guard when sins encounter our lives and he ordains them. 
right? So you think Job in this instance. Satan's coming, devil's coming to accuse God. He says, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan's like, well, let me do this, this, and this to him, and let's see if he still follows you. And he's like, proceed. Proceed. But you can't, and he gave him limitations. So God ordained it, brought his name up. Have you considered my servant Job? Now, listen, if you don't understand that God's holy and all of his ways are good, when that time happens in your life, you will be angry with God. Even at our conference this week, we're hearing pastors, well-respected pastors, and given it a question like, I don't, I don't know why bad things happen. The question of why. First Peter is the why. Peter is writing to suffering saints, telling them the why. The why is here. It's in the Bible. Created you for a, for a purpose, and you will suffer like my son suffered. So that the world may see that God is good. He will not turn a blind eye towards sin. And yet he will be good in the midst of it. Listen to me men and women. I don't want to be critical. I don't, in my own heart I ask why. So I'm not saying that. Here's what I want to communicate to you. The world doesn't know why. And we do. And so. Are you in sin if you ask why? No, we get to the answer why. God is good. And this world is sinful. And God in the midst of his his sovereignty works through both good and evil to accomplish his purposes. Acts chapter 2 told us that, did it not? Before the foundation of the world, the predetermined plan was going to take place that evil men would crucify Christ. They would murder him. Was he behind it? Yes. Before the foundations of the world, he was the lamb that was slain. In this passage, he was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake. Why why was he manifested in the last times for our sake? Previous verse, verse 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed by the precious blood of Christ. God works through evil and good. And so in that, The world's looking for an answer that the God of all comfort can comfort us with his comfort, with his Holy Spirit. That in the same manner we were comforted, it might be able to comfort others. That's what the world needs to hear. Not just more and more Christians going, why? And I'm not saying you won't ask that when your day of visitation happens. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying at some point we have to get past that and go, here's the answer. The answer is, I don't know everything. God's ways are higher than mine. But here's what I do know. God, my Father, is holy. And God, my Father, will judge my deeds impartially. And God, my Father, and here's the part you really need to hear, saves graciously. And God, my Father, governs the world sovereignly. That's what we need to give the world an answer. Any, any pagan can understand, I don't understand why. Every pagan will ask that. And many Christians will ask that, and so there's no condemnation for that. Here's what I, but you, you've got to come to an answer. Like David, you want God distant from you? Other people receive his blessings? Or do you want to look God squarely in the eyes with the terror that you've just witnessed and seen and go, okay, there's that side of you too that I don't understand. But here's what I see, and I'm going to trust what I see. Obed-Edom is being blessed beyond measure because that holy God says you can't interact with him whatever means you want to. There's a means by which you interact with him. And this is how the Bible is instructing us. And so he, sovereign God, before the foundation of the world. Is that word foreknown? It's what we talked about before several weeks ago in our opening. We talked about the, uh, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, the election that was taking place, the choosing, right? So the, the key there was what? If you look at verse Three or verse 2, where it talks about that we were chosen in Christ before the foundations of the world according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. It wasn't like, remember we talked about it looking through, uh, uh, looking to the future, and as we look to the future, God would see that we would choose Him, and so as a result of seeing that we choose Him, He chose us, right? Many people would want to see foreknowledge that way. It's not the way it's seen, because why? That would mean then, same word that's used in here in verse 20, He saw that Jesus was going to choose Him, and so therefore, 
chose that Jesus would be the spotless lamb. That doesn't make any sense because Jesus is God. So did he know Jesus was going to do that? Yes. Why did he know that? Because Jesus is God. And he was God the Son, was going to go to earth and was going to be manifested in these last times. Right, sort of foundation of the world, uh, before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you through him are believers in God. So Jesus existed before the foundations of the world. And so he wouldn't look at the obedience of Jesus and said, okay, as a result of that, I'm going to choose you. No, he, this was planned out long before Jesus ever came to earth. And it's the same way for us. God has this plan for us, which should encourage us, should instruct us. But was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, through him, through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that hope, so that your faith and hope are in God. So why, what's the purpose of all of this? God's governing the world sovereignly. Is that we would trust in Christ. And as a result of trusting the finished work of Christ on the cross and that his work was accomplished, he did come to live on this planet. His life was made manifested in the fullness of time, as Ephesians 1 would talk about, as Galatians would talk about. In the fullness of time, Jesus would come. He would live a perfect life, die the death that we deserve, and he would be raised from the dead, which gave him glory. What's the big so what? So what is this? So that your faith and your hope would be in God and not yourselves. That's the end. That's, that's, the, that's what God wants us to be at. My hope and my faith aren't in me. They're in God. Not in ourselves. And so, turn to Ephesians 1. I just want to read this one thing and then we're going to pray. I want to I send you off with this. Ephesians chapter 1. You're going to see this whole thing spelled out specifically for us. And then Paul's going to lead them in a prayer. And that's how I want to close our time out this morning as we look at god our father who's holy who judges impartially who saves graciously and governs the world sovereignly i want you to see it all in one passage and then i want to pray what what paul prayed for those in ephesus which says in verse three ephesians chapter one verse three blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be what? Holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption. There's the ransom term that we just talked through. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us all. He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as the plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. There you see it again, the fullness of time. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were to hope, first hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee in, of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, he's going to pray this for them. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which you, he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the, his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the age and the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's the same thing that Peter's saying. Guys, I want you to see how much your father loves you. How much he pursues you. And yes, he's going to judge sins and you do, your conduct needs to be holy. But he's blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's seated with you in, in Christ Jesus and you're seated at the right hand of God with him. And he wants us to understand the spirit of wisdom and the revelation of the knowledge of him. So that our eyes can, the eyes of our hearts, our minds, to gird up your loins 
As we've talked about before, you prepare yourself. Why? Do you know the hope to which you've been called, the riches of your inheritance, and the power, measurable power of his greatness is all availed to us. Those are the spiritual blessings that he said. But will you and I continue to live as a seven-year-old for the rest of our lives? Or would you grow up into manhood and womanhood to understand that all God has called you? That will only happen if you live in light of our Heavenly Father, who is both Father, yes, and Judge. Not Judge only, or Father only, but a Father who judges us. And as Hebrews 12 would tell us, it's for our good, and because He loves us, that He would discipline and chastise us. Let me pray for us. Father, Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.